show. Hey ho, let's go. This is 102.3 WHIV LP FM, and you are listening to Health is a Human Right radio show. This is Noel Matters. My name is Mark Allendary, and we are still trying to work through some of our uh, broadcasting uh, issues. Uh, we have the amazing uh, Bob Dunn sitting here uh, in the uh, booth with us right now. As, uh, as I've often said about Bob Dunn, no Bob Dunn, no WHIV. And, but we are not blaming him for why we're not broadcasting. We are streaming live, uh, and we are podcasting. So this will, uh, uh, this is reaching uh, really hundreds and hundreds of people as we speak right now. Let me remind you all that WHIV is the only community radio station dedicated to human rights, social justice. All of our hosts and DJs are volunteers, uh, and they are able to provide quality programming with your support. Consider becoming a member of WHIV. Uh, by going to one or two, by going to whivfm.org, 
Uh, please consider buying merch from our store. Uh, all donations to WHIV are tax deductible. Thank you so much for supporting uh, Community Radio. Thank you for supporting WHIV. We are not a radio station with a mission. We are a mission with a radio station and all wars. It is a, a pleasure. We're going to just, we have several guests today, so we're going to just jump to our first uh, guest uh, right now. Who is the, uh, who is Kat Randon, who is the donor relations manager at Children's Hospital. And, uh, we're here, uh, we're gonna have her on for a couple minutes as we talk about, uh, Chinola. So, uh, Kat, can you hear me? Yeah. Hey, thank you so much for appearing on WHIV. Uh, we have you, uh, via telephone. So, why don't you tell us a little bit, uh, something about what Chinola is? So, Chinola is Children's Hospital. New Orleans, Louisiana, and it's an acronym we use to describe the hospital. And tomorrow, uh, and the reason, uh, and tomorrow is Nola. Uh, is it what is it Nola Giving Day? I forget. What, give Nola yes. Day. Yes, that's and, yes. And that's what we're here to talk about, right? Exactly. So tomorrow is Give Nola Day, and that really is a twenty-four hour event. It's hosted by Greater New Orleans Foundation, and it it was really um, formed to inspire people in the New Orleans area to give back to nonprofits. And so we have kind of coined it Give Chinola Day in um, at Children's Hospital. That's great. And uh, what do you guys have uh, planned uh, for tomorrow? So we have um, beginning at hello. Them a chance to give back to Children's Hospital and feel good about it, and then we have community um, partners that are also working with us, and we'll have kind of a culmination event at Chop Yard tomorrow night, where it's really um, it's really just an event to thank the community for helping us out and be being so supportive of us. That's great, and uh, and for uh, more information, where can folks uh, find uh, where they can uh, uh, get to uh, make donations for y'all? Absolutely, it's givenola.org backslash chnola. And I imagine that the and, at the event at the chop yard tomorrow, uh, proceeds will go to to the children's hospital as well. Absolutely, we're at everyone to come out and and actually make their donation there um, at Chop Yard if you hadn't done it already. Um, they can schedule their donation today at that link or they can come um, do it tomorrow and come out and celebrate with us. And just for, for folks that are just tuning in real quickly, just maybe kind of remind us uh, about the unique position that Children's Hospital has in New Orleans. So Children's Hospital is the region's only um, hospital specifically for kids in Louisiana and the Gulf Coast. Um, and so we that's all we do. We, we only take care of children from birth to 21. And so um, and we we never turn a child away because of their uh, inability to pay and and. Healthcare costs a lot, and so we fundraise throughout the year. And um, Give Nola Day is one of our bigger fundraisers that we do to to really bring the community together to support the healthcare needs of children. Well, Kat, you know, by by a complete coincidence, I have some uh, pediatric uh, nurses and physicians actually that are from Children's Hospital to talk about the HIV programming that they do, and they're sitting here in the booth right now nodding along with you. So it was complete coincidence that uh, 
uh, that this kind of worked out in a, in a very nice and synergistic uh, way. So yeah, oh, that, as an HIV doctor, uh, I'm an adult doctor, obviously, but as an HIV mm-hmm. uh, physician, I have to say that the work that the Children's Hospital does here in New Orleans is really remarkable. Uh, and all oh. of my colleagues um, that I have always interacted with have been nothing but the, exhibited the highest amounts of professionalism from top to bottom. And so it's really a pleasure to, to have Children's Hospital on. And again, more information where they can uh, make donations again, Cap? Correct. It's givenola.org backslash chnola. And then again, uh, the event at the Chop Yard tomorrow? Tomorrow night, come by if you want to make a donation um, and we'll be out there celebrating the day. For those of you that are listening uh, to 102.3 WHIV, uh, please consider uh, uh, channeling some of your donations in that direction. Children's Hospital is really an amazing institution and uh, and have really uh, provided uh, tremendous health care uh, to children all over uh, the region. So, uh, Ms. Kat, thank you so much. Good luck for tomorrow. And be sure to contact us again when something like this comes around, all right? Absolutely. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you so much. And okay. as... We kind of shift uh, here. We're going to uh, move right over to uh, some folks that I uh, I actually uh, admire greatly for all the work that they do as well. As uh, as we're going to talk uh, to uh, to Miss Medea, who is a pediatric uh, HIV and research nurse. You've heard Miss Medea on air many many times here on WHIV as she comes to talks to us. Well, I like to she held up her hands, actually said the number, but uh, I like to think many, many times. Uh, this is your third appearance, I'm going to say, on WHIV, right? Yes. Yes. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. And Thank you it's gonna, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about Camp Hope and, and Margo. Hey, thanks so much, Dr. Great. Gary. Great to be here. Great to Gary. I would love to uh, have you guys sit. So as we do every year... This is the time where y'all come back around and talk to us about this amazing experience that children uh, that are born with HIV uh, get to experience. I would imagine children born with HIV, especially back in the day uh, when it was more difficult and when HIV was a more challenging disease, especially with the medications and, and stuff. Uh, camp Hope provided an opportunity for young people to be able to go and have a summer camp experience, and uh, particularly people that uh, are children that are born with HIV. And I know that uh, every year around this time, uh, the fundraising starts. Uh, probably never stops. Actually, it's probably all year round. <laughs> so I, I, instead of talking about Camp Hope, I'm going to let you guys talk about it. So I'm going to turn the mics over to y'all. Okay, Camp Cope, we've been doing this, Margo, since 2011. I think 2011 was the first year we went, yep. Yeah, and um, Dr. Margo Anderson, she was the one who spearheaded this activity in our PEDS ID clinic. It's a wonderful thing that she took three little boys on a road trip going to Houston, Texas to go to this camp that nobody knew about. Well, it was really um, one little boy um, who kind of inspired the the need for some of our kids to have this kind of experience. He was diagnosed very late. I mean, as I'm sure all your listeners know, kids who are born with HIV and are diagnosed promptly and take their medications can grow up very healthy and live, you know, a normal lifespan and have very healthy, normal lives. But this little boy was not diagnosed until age nine. Oof. And he presented age nine. Age nine presented that is with advanced, advanced AIDS. AIDS. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. And was malnourished and had uh, a super infection called MAC. 
and was really no difficult. lymph. I'm surprised no lymphomas or anything or no, yeah, thankful, right. Thankfully not. for that, yeah. And I mean, as soon as his mother, you know, understood about the diagnosis, it got right onto medicines. But it was a. I mean, he really couldn't keep medicines down, couldn't keep food down, and was rapidly losing weight. Had a G tube, and was just so depressed. And had been previously a very lively, happy child. And all his teachers were so worried about him. He just could barely lift his head off the desk. And so we were looking around for something, um, you know, positive for him. Mm-hmm. And a couple other little boys, um, his age, were also eligible. And. It's way out in Texas. I'd never even been to Texas. I'm from New Hampshire. But um, they said, oh, the camp is free. Um, All you need to do is bring them. And so, you know, their parents said, oh, sure, they could. They could do that. So they sent sent them with you on the road. Just bye. Yes, in the car. And in fact, I think we got a flat tire on the way, and the children thought, oh, I guess we won't be going to camp. Oh. Um, and they were crying on the side of the road, but no, we... We got there. Fixed that the was just the and beginning. And, I mean, it was just a, just a wonderful experience from start to finish. Well, once we I got on board, um, you couldn't go. You had to go off to some country and cure some I infectious think, disease. I think I had, uh, right, was a, I, after a couple of years, I had moved to Malawi, so okay. we didn't know who was going to go. And Yeah, and I kind of um, took over at that time. And well, can, I, can, I, can, I, can I go back? Just how okay. was the experience? Like, what was the experience like? Of camp? camp? I mean, just... that, fir- that first year, I mean, did he, like, did, I mean, when he recognized that he was with his peers and other children that were experiencing the same thing he was experiencing, I mean, was it? I mean, was there kind of a spark that kind of awoke in him or? Absolutely. And just seeing at breakfast every day, all the kids have to take medicine. And yeah, there's other kids who have, you know, tubes and other ways of getting medicine in the body that, you know, feel really unusual when you're going to just a regular public school and there's nobody else like that at all around you. Um, and, And the camp itself is just so fun. I mean, it is just intensely fun. There's swimming and horseback riding and talent shows and i mean it's just in the it sobs all the way home oh yeah it's just a wonderful (laughs) experience and this child is going to be um the first of our kids to be a counselor because he's now 18 yes so he's stuck with the program yes and then totally and then now he and so obviously his health so obviously the mac got cured he the g2 came out the the medications oh really yeah finishing high school oh it's great really just what a he's coming back as a counselor this year that's amazing so he really kind of feels inspired to be able to give back what what he got he's trying to give back that experience to other children as well absolutely Absolutely. And I think for the for little kids, it's great to see an older kid. Yeah, I take my of course I take my medicine every day so I can stay healthy and, you know, let's get on with enjoying our lives. And right. And not let the really not let HIV kind of. Yeah. yeah so mm-hmm. if you're tuning in, you're listening to 102.3 WHIV. This is Nolan Matters. Health is a human right. My name is Mark Allendary and we have uh, with us uh, two uh, great uh, guests and, and folks that I have uh, uh, have known for years, actually, in my years at Tulane. Uh, and uh, and Medea, w- w- as we were sitting here talking about Camp Hope, I interrupted you as we were a moment ago. Yes, that's just, fine. Yeah, yeah. So you were just saying so. So in 2011, uh, you had gone, and uh, and then and then it, it became kind of a trend after that. Or well, so the next year we thought, gosh, there's 
because no one else from Louisiana was going. It was kids from Texas and Arkansas and, and Florida, but no one from Louisiana. And as you know, your listeners probably are aware that Baton Rouge also has a fairly sizable um, number of children infected with HIV. And so we, I got together with um, Karen Williams. Dr. Karen Williams is really the pediatric HIV specialist for Baton Rouge. And I said, oh, do you have any kids between 7 and 15, 15 and 16 who might like to come to camp? Because we could, if we got a bus, we could pick up the kids in New Orleans, stop in Baton Rouge and pick y'all up and go right on. And she uh, said, great, no problem. And she, I think she got six or seven kids that first year. Wow. And we all went together and um, we needed to fundraise for a bus. So uh, Noel Twilbeck. Yes, um, uh, who's the CEO of uh, Crescent Care. That's right. He appears on WHIV every World's AIDS Day. That's right. He was just instrumental. He said, I think I can find someone who would want to help you fundraise for that. I think it was Toby LaFort who just had a a fundraiser Mm -hmm. because we needed a few thousand dollars, you know, for the transportation and getting kids some of the things they need to go to camp, like bathing suits and that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And And the money appeared? The money appeared. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I think, actually, the Children's Miracle Network in Baton Rouge has been providing the money since... since What what is the Children's... Our Lady of the Lake also helps facilitate the bus Mm -hmm. as well. And what is that, the Children's Miracle Network? So the Children's Miracle Network um, operates in all different hospitals. So Children's Hospital also is a beneficiary of the Children's Miracle Network. But they support kind of the extra things that kids tend to need to be healthy when they're coping particularly with, with hiv or with all chronic all, illnesses they, they work with kids with cancer any kind of chronic serious illness got it yeah. so in the media when did you first kind of uh, become uh interested in camp hope i think it was 2012 2013 i right. think i think they were talking to me and i'm like i'm not going to camp with kids but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but i i'm always a, a free spirit and running around so i um Went, got together, and, and took over where Margot left off. Right. And the first year I went to camp, I noticed that some of the Florida kids had their Camp Rocks T-shirts. Louisiana didn't have any T-shirts. We just kind of showed up, and um, we got um, a design together the following year. And so the, you were like, uh, we're getting organized, right? We're getting yeah. organized. Yeah, you got inspired we want by our, <laughs> our children to have Louisiana pride. Sure. So we started off, um, I think, with a crawfish one year on our T-shirts. That was but the first one. It was yeah, cute. Yeah, it was yeah. a little crawfish on it. Um, anything Louisiana and whatever goes with the Camp Hope theme. Sure. That's what we do with the T-shirts for the kids. But the other problem that I saw once we got to camp a lot of our kids didn't have the basic necessities. Right. They didn't have three days, past three days of clothes when we were there for seven days. They didn't always have a bathing suit. They didn't always have shower shoes. And after seeing a kid wear the same T-shirt two or three days, you're like, what's going on with this kid? And you go and check their bag, and there's not much there. And the clothes that are in there are already dirty because they've been there for two or three days. And I saw a need to be able to provide the family with some um, gift cards or something to be able to 
allow them to get some of the things that they need as well. And, and I guess just let's take a moment just to kind of remind that infectious diseases are diseases of the poor to a large degree. Yes. And I often remind people that the top three killers in the world, and I'm speaking to an infectious disease doctor here, so the top three killers of the world, of course, are TB, malaria, and HIV, and they're not happening in Sweden, right? And, and so while not exclusive to, to the poor, but certainly HIV and certainly in the state of Louisiana, follow poverty very, very closely. Yes. And so I just kind of want to make sure that we, I just wanted to put an exclamation point oh, on, on, on the comment that you're making right now. Yes, and another thing to realize that many of the kids that we bring to camp, they've already lost parents. Yeah, so that's a very good point. So these are children that may have been orphaned or may have lost a a parent to HIV themselves. Yes, and grandparents are raising them, aunts are raising them, friends of the family are raising them, and they have their own kids as well. And so the burden falls upon the family. We had um, a little boy two years ago, his mother had passed with a month before camp. Mm. And it was a hard thing for his dad to just let him go to camp and be a kid. But it was so important to get him there right? because of the trauma that he experienced. Yeah, I can imagine. And we just watched him just open up like a butterfly while being there. He was very noncompliant when taking medicines prior to Initially, going, right? Initially, yeah, yeah. going to camp. And while there, working with the team that we have that's so intensive every day, sitting with them until they get their meds in and finding which ways it might work with Jello, it might work with ice cream, it might work with chocolate syrup. That's what worked for me was chocolate syrup. And he finally started taking his medicine at that point. That's great. And we should say it is such a loving place. All of the doctors, nurses, mental health practitioners, and, and cabin counselors are, many of them are living with HIV themselves, and that's their motivation. And many of them just really love this work and love to really help these kids in any way. So and I think they feel that just right, mm-hmm. when they, right when they get to camp. Everyone's so excited. And if people want to get more information, we haven't even given out information. How can, how can people find more information or make donations? Well, for the New Orleans chapter, um, we raise money that goes directly to camp. And um, it's on AIDS Help, A I D S H E L P dot org, forward slash campaign, forward slash N O L A NOLA. And that'll take you to our website. And our donations go directly to the camp. So that's uh, AIDS Help forward slash. Yeah, she's going to give it to me right here. Here we go. There we go. I should text that to myself. All right, so that's aidshelp.org forward slash campaign forward slash NOLA. And that is where you guys can make donations to this amazing organization uh, to help uh, children uh, go to camp and and have a camp experience. We have a couple of quick minutes left. Uh, Margo, can you tell me about how the origin of the camp started? So the camp started in 1994. Um, and it, it came out of um, the work of the people in Houston at Baylor. Um, and there are actually camp hopes all over the world. So in Malawi, um, where I worked for several years, there's a camp hope for kids living with HIV there. It's a much, sadly, a much larger population. I'm sure it's a bigger need. But, sure. but, but um, Baylor and Mark Klein, as its spearhead, have really reached out to treat pediatric HIV all over the world. And a part of that has to be... Um, psychosocial, right? 
you want to keep the children alive and healthy and also feeling you know strong and healthy and positive about about themselves and so getting together with other kids who have this same experience can just make such a difference yeah i could i could imagine has there been any studies on the psychological kind of benefits of something like this i'm I'm, i mean i think it's so obvious but i i i i I wonder you know um i i I, i'm sure there must be something out there that well we did do a camp study two years in a row and look at the effects of adherence there we go all right (laughs) (laughs) Um, even dr margo didn't know (laughs) and what we found out after the second year that like maybe six months after camp the um all the good things that started to wane wane, and we were like okay we need to create camp hugs sometime in the middle of the year around christmas something to reach the families at that time to try and get that booster again. So right, it's so like kind of like the vaccine only lasts six months, and then yeah. you need like a little booster shot. Yes, uh. and um, <laughs> we haven't figured out how to give that booster shot yet, but um, that did come out of the research that we did for two years. Uh, wow. <laughs> Dr. Yeah. Margo is uh, like... <laughs> yeah. I should say this is going to be my first year going back since 2012 so oh I'm my really goodness excited. yay really all right any uh, we have about a minute left any exciting go, i was gonna say any exciting stories of kids that are gonna be coming that like um any stories uh heartwarming stories there, the, there's a um, there's a bake sale that is going to be benefiting pediatric infectious disease uh, folks on Friday, May 10th. Oh, that's going to be an F now. Is that going to be an F now? Yeah. <laughs> so Medea was just handing me. So our, you know, as you guys know, WHIV in conjunction with uh, Tulane is sponsoring a public health film festival called the Public Health Film Festival of New Orleans, uh, and. Uh, the uh, Camp Hope will be there Friday night. Uh, I'm sorry, from uh, Friday from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. in the Tidewater uh, lobby. Uh, and uh, you would be able to uh, also uh, uh, provide some, some uh, support there at, at, that, uh, at that event. And again, more information can be found at aidshelp.org forward slash campaign forward slash NOLA. And again, uh, there's going to be a, a bake sale at the Tidewater Building, which is 1440 Canal Street from 10 a.m. Uh, to 1 p.m. And if you guys stay, uh, you guys can also stay for the Public Health Film Festival. All the films there are free. And we'll be talking about the Public Health Film Festival in the next hour. So in the interim, thank you guys so very much. Dr. Margo, I would love to have you guys. You can set that down. So I don't know why I handed that to you. Um, you guys, uh, please, would love to have you guys uh, on uh, when you uh, when you all come back to to talk about some of the experiences. And I know that we talked about at some point. It would be fun to take WHIV out to Camp Hope and have uh, some radio programming being done with some of the kids out there. That Maybe come out awesome. for the day and just let them set up like kind of like a faux radio station and then just record them and then just of course take out all the identifiers later edit everything out but then just be able to have their own radio program that we'd be able to so if you i I would be happy to come out next year and we can build out like a little faux radio station Mm -hmm. and uh and uh we we'd even be able to stream it live actually on the whiv well there is a studio there that is set up at camp oh That the children do their recordings. They do a lot of music. The kids love music. So this will be a twist right. to let them yeah, know yeah, that yeah, there's yeah, yeah, live yeah. So on if, radio. They so jump they would on be able to. It. So that's something that I would love to be able to do with you guys. Oh, 
Oh, fantastic. Great. So thank you guys so much. Uh, again, AIDS help forward slash uh, AIDS help dot org forward slash campaign forward slash NOLA. Thank you guys so much, Dr. Margo Medea. Thank you guys so much. And thanks for all your support last night. Thanks for all your support for WHIV. And we'll be right back in just one quick minute. Thank you. Hello, this is Noelani Musicaro. I'm a DJ here on WHIV every Saturday, noon to 2 p.m. for The Art of Kindness. I'm also a member here because I believe in the voice of this station. You too can become a member. Go to whivfm.org, click on the donate button. Be a part of the revolution. We honor independent voices. With love, we thank you. We do. This is 102.3 WHIV LP FM. You are listening to NOLA Matters. The Health is a Human Right radio show. It's an honor and pleasure to bring on our next guest, uh, somebody who I uh, personally can say I know and love as well, uh, and uh, who is uh, somebody who has inspired me and uh, uh, to really be the best that I can be. And of course, I'm talking about Mark Peratt, who's not only a good friend, but is also my father-in-law, uh, and uh, very happy uh, to uh, announce uh, to all of y'all who already don't know, is that... Uh, uh, Mark Pratt is um, 
just recently had a documentary made about him and the amazing work that he did in the early 90s. And I am going to take the step away from the microphone at this point and turn it over to Mark Pratford to talk a little bit about himself and specifically to talk about the movie General Magic that is going to be uh, uh, opening at the Broad Theater for the next week starting this Friday night uh, on May 10th. And it's going to be playing uh, every every day for the following uh, week. And and so with that, I'm going to turn the microphone over to Mark Pratt, who we're talking to from San Francisco, California. Mark, how are you? Good afternoon, Mark Allen. Good afternoon, audience. Fine, thank you. Uh, it, it's it's an amazing. Uh, f- uh, obviously, I've seen the film several times. It's really it's an amazing movie. Again, the movie is called General Magic. You can find more information about General Magic at generalmagicthemovie.com. Mark, can you talk to us a bit about? Why something that took place in the early 90s, some 20 years plus years ago, is still so relevant now? And as I have now looked recently to, on, the fa- on, the, um, on the website page, it's, it's the winner of mo- – I mean, you have laurels all over, the, uh, all over the movie poster indicating multiple awards uh, that you've won. Uh, so maybe you can talk to us a bit about uh, General Magic and, uh, and your involvement with uh, General Magic. Good. <clears throat> yeah, great, great, uh, great question. Uh, uh, so I started and ran a company in the 90s, uh, which has been credited with uh, being the first uh, the inventor, basically, of the smartphone. And I know that sounds audacious, but, it's, but it turns out that that was our vision. And uh, just by example, a couple of our engineers, uh, we spun out from Apple Computer with a, with a Macintosh team essentially the first Mac team that did the Mac OS. Um, it said, you know, hi there. <laughs> and a couple of our engineers, one of them uh, went on to, to actually create the iPhone uh, at Apple, and the other one went on to Google to create Android. And these two engineers sat 15 feet apart from each other in the mid-90s, long before there was a smartphone. In fact, um, we shipped one in 1995, and it wasn't until... 12 years later in 2007 when Apple actually shipped its iPhone 1. So I guess as an origin story, uh, if, uh, if the people listening here don't have a smartphone, I'd be, I'd be stunned. Uh, so assuming everyone, you know, sort of knows what a smartphone is, could you imagine life without it? And, and the answer was in the 1990s, nobody could imagine life with it because it wasn't there. <laughs> there was no there there. So as an origin story, I guess that's part, that's half of what caught the interest of, of the, you know, of the reviewers and of the audience itself. But that's only the first half. Right. And just to kind of take us back a bit, Mark, you were uh, working as uh, uh, innovation officer at, at Apple in the late, late 80s, early 90s. Can we pick up with the story yeah. from there? Yep. Late 80s, I was at the investment. Advanced Technology Group, and I joined Apple basically to, to, to come up with what was beyond the next, what's beyond the Mac, what's the next thing after the after personal computing, and that and I was there. That's exactly what I, I did. It was from that group, the Advanced Technology Group, that we spun out. And uh, and I know that you have uh, I, I have repeated, I've quoted you on this several times. That for you, the I, I mean, how do you create? something that was never there. I mean, that's, that is an amazing piece of, of visionary 
uh, um, ingenuity. Uh, but I know that you talked about once you having a vision of, I think you mentioned walking into a coffee shop or to a cafe and you kind of had a vision where everybody was connected. And I think you may have even had that vision kind of a decade prior to that. I was just wondering if maybe you could share that story. Oh, sure. With pleasure. Um, so, yeah, so actually I've been thinking about revolutions, and I think that's one of the things, Mark Allen, you personally, and I think the radio station and probably the, you know, this community at WHIV uh, uh, understand is, is revolutions can be very powerful. And uh, on the other hand, revolutionaries are are, are, are are people who have to have a certain amount of courage because uh, it's not whatever they're trying to do isn't there. <laughs> they have to envision what life could be there beyond the revolution. So that's so I, I got started on that uh, actually when I was at Stanford doing PhD work uh, on um, on what was the great next revolution in America beyond the agricultural and industrial revolutions, and to which the answer was information. And in 1976, which is when I did that PhD, that wasn't all that obvious. Uh, computers were you know had been around for a little while. Um, when I was uh, a graduate student, I guess I worked as a summer project um, with uh, with with a, a, a couple of consultants at that time who became known as the fathers of the in- internet, by the way, Vint <laughs> Cerf and others. Um, and I was working on the internet. This is 1975. And at that time, the internet was 14 computers, supercomputers in university research centers. So to go from there to thinking that that half of humanity would have a a supercomputer in their pocket, which from the perspective of 1976, that's what we have. We have, we have things that would have cost 10, 20, 30 million dollars in, in current 1976 dollars sitting in, you know, sitting in your iPhone or, or your Android device. It's, it's pretty incredible. Anyway, so that was, that was a, that took a revolutionary leap and it got started in, uh, at Stanford. And then it was about 10 years later that, uh, that actually, um, it, it, it all came clear what it was going to look like. And, um, just to save you the, the story, it's what you have. It's, it's small. It's intimate. It's, it's a, it's a lifeline to your, you know, to your, your, yourself, your closest relationships and to the world at large and to the market, all the markets out there. It's uh, it's addictive. Uh, it's um, it's it's so addictive, in fact, that now some of the dark side of, of this whole stuff is beginning to emerge. But it's addictive. It's uh, it's something you couldn't imagine living without. But on the other hand, before 1997, everyone lived without it. There was no iPhone. There was no smartphone. Um, excuse me. Before 2007. There was no smartphone. There was no iPhone. There was nothing. Uh, we shipped ours in 1995, just to give you a sense of what it was about. And once the vision uh, came clear, it was a, it was a really compelling. It was really clear, absolutely clear. Uh, all I had to do was just look at it, and it was it basically spoke to me. So this is this is what I wanted to go be. <laughs> Set the iPhone to or the smartphone to you know to in this dialogue in this fictional dialogue with me and with it, and uh, we went off to invent it. Yeah, that that is that is such an uh, amazing story. When when you were working at the Advanced Technology Group at, at Apple, I know that you have uh, shared uh, um, this story as well. That that you were kind of 
talking a bit about this 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 idea in 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 your head, and you were probably working probably with the foremost, greatest, soft, just visionaries. Uh, certainly, uh, uh, you know what what ultimately became kind of what we know of Apple today. Uh, certainly, the software engineers and and hardware engineers there. What was the feedback that you were getting when you were telling them about what ultimately became the device that you were you know you had looked at and <laughs> conceived of? So- yeah, super interesting uh, question. It, it actually throws me right back into the into the years 1989, 1990, which is a, a couple of years when I was writing a book uh, for Apple on on this device, on this invention. Uh, and um, uh, most of the time, in the beginning, everyone thought I was uh, wacky. And so, what, what, you know, why am I at Apple? If I'm not a Mac fanatic, which, I, by the way, I was, but if I'm not a Mac fanatic, and all I want to do is create the next great Mac. Why am I there? It's like, you know, go away. Leave us alone. We're busy. Um, and that's where it started. And I kept saying, no, really, really. <laughs> this is, that there's, there's, a whole, there's a whole universe beyond desktop computing or even, or even mobile, you know, the laptop. And slowly, bit by bit, um, I felt a little bit like the Batman Piper, actually. Uh, and for those of you who've seen the HBO Silicon Valley, uh, series that, that's a that's a that's a, an unfortunate reference because it, that was a very goofy goofy uh, time. But but nonetheless, it was like a pipe piper because it was uh, people finally began to say, "Hey, I want to do that. I want to I want to you know I want to join the, the the team." And bit by bit, I suppose um, 10, 15, 20 people, thirty people began to say, "Sure, this is interesting." But then the uh, the then CEO uh, John Scully got on, and uh, the board of, and he introduced me to the board of directors. They got on it, and um, and by then it was it was it was out in the culture. There's something going on here that's really pretty cool and interesting. And uh, so when I said, uh, "Look, it's it, it's going to meet too much resistance, cultural resistance, and too much competition for resources if I stay inside. We we've got to spin it out as a separate company." Uh, when we did that, that's when two of the superstars from from the Mac days joined, uh, Bill Atkinson and uh, and Andy Hertzfeld, and they became uh, the three of us were co- the co-founders. Uh, and once Bill and Andy, who were on these short lists in those days, this, is, this sounds absurd now that everyone's coding, everyone's a coder, but in those days there was actually a list of the top ten coders on the planet Earth, and uh, they were two of the top ten. You know, just to give you a sense of the caliber. So after that, lots of people joined. I mean, it was just like an avalanche of talent that came pouring out of not only from Apple Computer but from other companies. And and people heard about us, and we kind of very quickly became the you know one of the darling of of Silicon Valley, you know, the, the, the latest you know hottest you know company in you, Silicon Valley. Yeah, you're talking about having started. You you actually, and if I can give a, just a tiny bit of the movie away, you actually started up. A startup, mm-hmm. right? Called General Magic, right? And and General Magic, yeah, startup, yeah. the company was is essentially um, attributed as to having uh, uh, been the originator or the pioneer of what we now refer to as startups. Correct. Well, I would say I wouldn't say that because because uh, Apple itself had been a startup, as you know, famously in the garage with Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. Sure, and sure. Intel I, I got you. Yep. All, all, all of Silicon Valley were startups. I think that what, one of the things that, that um, General Magic did that is kind of new was we did a, a, an IPO, an initial public offering. It was a concept IPO. In other words, we were not making money. 
it was just on the strength of the idea and of the traction we got in you know building a team and building a, a product and shipping a product that um, Goldman Sachs and some other you know banks took us public and that was called a, a concept IPO these days many companies if not most of the companies in tech that are going public uh, you know are losing money uh, uber is losing you know billion dollars you know a year in a good year kind of kind of thing so all all the companies are losing money but at that time it was exotic uh and so i think that was the credit but, but that at least that was the that was one you know one distinction that we had turned out to be a a problem because we weren't able to to succeed uh, right. in in growing you know a big company and that's really the Gets, getting back to the other half of the story, I, I actually think that half the interest, uh, and it's not global interest, it's, this, this thing is beginning to play you know, worldwide, this movie. Um, and half the interest is the origin story of the smartphone and of Apple Computer, which is always fascinating, and how it birthed this company and who the people were and what they did. But the other half is the, is the human story of we all worked incredibly hard, flat out for four or five years. And it didn't work. The company didn't work. And the reason it didn't work is we were 12 years early. <laughs> so what we now take for granted, which is, which is, you know, digital cellular telephony, which is the sort of the heart of how these, these smartphones have to communicate. That didn't exist back then. What we had back then was analog communication, which is, which is, which is impossible, isn't it? It doesn't have any bandwidth to be able to carry any meaningful um, you know, sort of messages and signals and video and things like that. And secondly, we didn't have the web. Most importantly, the web at that time was, uh, as I mentioned, there were 14 computers on the internet when I when I did my my PhD work. And it was it wasn't until a couple of years after we got started that the very first glimmerings of the web happened. And there wasn't micro-miniaturization, and there wasn't this, and there wasn't that. As uh, Kara Swisher says in the film, you know, everything that wasn't, wasn't. It just, the infrastructure just didn't exist. And so the, the world had to wait, and we had to, we would have had to have waited another 12 years. And we were exhausted. We'd been working flat out for five years. Um, you know, the, sort of the, the t-shirt was 90 hours a week and loving it. And, um, but that's, that actually takes a toll after a while. And we did, we had, we did, we ran out of money and we ran out of energy and we ran out of ability to sustain it. So we had to let go. And uh, fortunately, our people went elsewhere, like to Google and to Apple, and they, uh, they carried the vision with them and made it happen. Go, go ahead. Were you going to say something, Mark? I'm sorry. And I think that's the other half of the story is, 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 is wow, these, these, this team worked so hard. You know, it must have been really crushing to not be able to to get it over the line, and it was. And so, part of the story, which is the human part of the story, having nothing to do with technology necessarily, is is you know everybody experiences some success and some failure in life. And the failure, the successes are easy to to embrace, but the failures are really hard. And and especially for the for the community, Mark Allen, that you know that you love and serve so ably, uh, there's a lot of real tragedy. We didn't we didn't experience real tragedy at, at General Magic because that's that's life life and death stuff. Um, but but a sense of profound failure, something just didn't work, um, takes you down, and it and it and it it takes an enormous amount of 
stamina and perseverance and a sense of what of positive what can be made to happen uh how to pick up your life and keep going after something adverse something really really serious happens in our case the company didn't work uh and well that sounds so what big deal companies go in and out of business all the time and and the answer to that was it was it was such an effort uh, everybody who worked on the team gave it their all they turned their soul inside out to make something happen that we knew was you know beautiful and important and and, and necessary and when it didn't work it was crushing to, to lots of people including me um, and I think the message to the audience is there's you do, people you don't fail you just continue you learn from what you experienced you gather yourself together and you pick yourself up. It may take time. It may take years sometimes to do so. Um, it did in my case and in other people's cases. It took time to heal. But then you pick yourself up and you keep going and restart and uh, and move on to the next level. And, and life has a way of working itself out and uh, and going for something better. And I think that's the other part of the story, which is the optimism and the sense of courage and perseverance that we all need to have in the face of adversity. Yeah, I mean it's a it's an amazing story, and, and it and and the way you're telling it now is uh, uh, in a manner in which uh, hindsight you, you're able to put it into a perspective, uh, being able to look look at it twenty years later or fifteen years later. Uh, but to a large degree, too, Mark. I mean, you know, I, obviously, I've said this to you before in the past that it's an amazing vision that you had to to conceive of a smartphone uh and 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 in doing so and i think that and i don't think i'm giving away part of the movie and i really think that maybe if we could take a minute to kind of talk about the things that you invented because things didn't exist so it was you literally jumped out of a window or out of a building and you literally built the plane as you were as you were coming down so i mean i think the the, the usb yeah. was invented i think the touch screen was invented i mean can we yeah. talk about i mean uh, yeah. the the vision was there you just didn't have the the thing Things there just didn't exist necessary to actually yeah. be able to build it. And I, I would just love to maybe take a minute to hear about some of the things that you guys invented along the way. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, if you want to sort of completely kind of nerd out on the whole thing, I'm happy to, I'm yes. happy to do it. Yes. <laughs> so at, at, at that time, you have to remember that, that, that even uh, laptops you know, weigh like 15 pounds and and were humongous, and there was no touchscreen technology to speak of. So now, we're not, now look at your phone that you're talking on, or that you, you know, that you have by your side. Not nothing that you see there existed when we built it. So uh, the microminiaturization that it took to 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 get all those microprocessors, which by the way didn't exist, we had to we had to we had to spin them. Not an exotic thing, but they all had to be done. Um, the battery technology, which which was clunky and slow, I mean, the, the, it didn't have a lot of power density to it. The touch screens, which were noisy and large and kind of crappy, quite frankly, and kind of black and white, yellow green kind of kind of aesthetic you've seen it in ancient movies. That's where we were. And and you mentioned USB. There was no there was no real miniature serial you know connector for for connecting devices external devices uh we, we just, now we're now just plugging you know usb c 
sees, you know, just like boom, into right into the phone and we're done. So none of that stuff existed. All that stuff had to be invented. And um, quite frankly, it was too much invention had to be done to make it go. We also had to invent the network behind it because there was no intelligent network behind it. So the telecommunications network, we also did quite a bit of work there to try and figure out how to create um, uh, uh, technologies that eventually became the web. Uh, it was a different, you know, in some sense, I wish we hadn't been so successful spinning out of Apple in 1991, because if we'd been unsuccessful in spinning out until 1995, um, the web would have been obvious. For us, what we had to do is we, we, we built it without the web. The web came along and we scrambled to incorporate uh, all the web technology into our device. And by then it was it was too late because it was the world was just rocketing at that point. So yeah, we had to invent all that stuff. Um, and, and and by the way, we had we had you know emojis, we had emoticons that today look like gifs and um, and and they 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 move and they and they laugh and they smile and they cry and they do all kinds of. All kinds of goofy things. We did that. We actually wrote that. All that stuff was was uh, was shipped in 1995, and then here it is, 2019. Uh, was it 24 years later? The world is finally getting animated gifs uh, with sound and you know and, 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 and action and all of that. Well, it turns out that there's a that's fun. That's an amazing thing that we were able to do that 24 years ago. On the other hand, did we have to do it 24 years ago? Was it, was it essential to the product? And the answer is no, it wasn't. And so there's a big lesson when you do a startup, uh, which is only do the things that are absolutely critically essential for a minimum viable first product, period. And that wasn't our culture. Our culture was the Mac culture, which is everything's perfect all the time. And uh, that, that culture was inconsistent with what we had to do, which was invent the whole, the whole world of smart telephony right from the ground up. Mark, I just got a, a text message from one of our listeners who uh, wanted me to ask you a question. Is, is that okay if I ask a question? And that is, yeah, what, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. what advice would you give uh, to somebody who has a vision so clearly in their mind's eye, and uh, and you see the world all around you, but none of the pieces uh, are in place at that time? Yeah, yeah. That's a, that that is that is a fundamental, most powerful question that is asked. And I really would like to applaud the person who texted you about that. That is the question that everyone wants to know. What, what did you learn from the last, you know, from that experience and then having gone beyond that experience? A couple of things to be said to your, to your, uh, to the, to the texter. Is that, is, is a man or a woman? Not that it matters. I just want to know whether it was, I think, female. A female. Okay. Um, a couple of things to know. One is that, um, when, this is a this is a, a a a bit funny but a bit real. When you see something as a visionary that that no one else sees, and and you're and you hear it and you see it and you feel it and it's very clear in your mind but no one else sees it or feels it or hears it. You know, there's a word for that uh, in our vocabulary and it's for psychological taxonomy. You're crazy because you're now in touch with something that other people don't see. They don't hear. They say, "What are you talking about?" You know, you're, you're, you're in fantasy land. That's another, you know, really powerful. You're fantasizing. Fantasy. Well, the answer is, unfortunately, nine times out of ten, they're right. It's, it's just not there. So you have to 
figure out whether you're the one in 10 or the nine in 10. But if you believe you're that you're the one in 10 who actually is in touch with a real vision, um, then perseverance is the only, uh, is the only way to go is persevere and persevere and persevere. There's a, and, and there's a, there's a new literature that I'd recommend to you, which is kind of lean methodology, which is the way you per- persevere and not run out of energy or run out of time is, is you, is you run lean. You, you try out things that cost nothing. You iterate like crazy. You, you listen. Um, most people who are, great visionaries and i've been you know i'm sure you are one of them are also great at pitching what their their vision um number one because you know you're smart number two you're you're verbal and number three you have passion you have an extraordinary passion which goes beyond you know beyond beyond because otherwise you wouldn't be a visionary so you're out there in sort of the third standard deviation land you know you're really quite something and so you pitch well, that's not the way to get your vision going. In fact, the best way to get your vision going is to listen, is to is to be a good listener and to and to try out ideas and iterate quickly, and abandon them when they don't work, but never lose sight of a you know the sort of positive outcome that you know you're going to create something uh, that is important. And that's connected with your curiosity as a person and with your passion as a person. And quite frankly, that becomes conflated with your identity as a person, who you are, and you cannot let go. You, the, other, the other piece of advice to note is that in lean methodology, but just in life itself, the idea that you have so clearly right now that you're so passionate about in a year will seem a little bit outdated and obsolete. And if it's a product or a service that, you know, that's going to market, where real people are going to pay real money to, you know, to, to partake of the service or product. Um, as soon as the product hits the market, you'll understand why it was no good. Why, what, all the things that are wrong with it that you couldn't possibly have thought about in advance uh, will become clear. And it's, and it's very important in that, that moment in time to approach what you've envisioned and what you've invented with incredible humility. I, very hard to do because inventors usually have an abundance of hubris. Right. But at that very same moment, you have to have an abundance of humility. And 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 pivot is one word, or just evolve is another word into what the world is telling you that they like and don't like, and then go and go from there. I I, I just and, sorry sorry Mark, we're we're quickly running out of time. Go ahead and finish your thought. I'm sorry. No no no. Yeah, we're talking I'm to Mark. To yeah, we're talking to Mark Pratt. Uh, General Magic uh, is the movie uh, that is a documentary about uh, the company that uh, Mark Pratt, uh, who is the CEO uh, of uh, of uh, General Magic. More information can be found at GeneralMagicTheMovie.com. dot com. And essentially, uh, Mark Pratt uh, was uh, led a team that ultimately invented the smartphone or the iPhone. There's an amazing. And I want to finish. Have you finished your thought, Mark? But I want to use one of the folks, uh, somebody who I admire greatly. Uh, but in the movie, of course, in General Magic, you worked with amazing uh, folks like Andy Hertzfeld and, and, of course, Bill Atkinson, and along the way, Joanna Hoffman and Megan Smith and Tony Fidel, and people whose names, uh, uh, you know, especially those in the tech world, would recognize. But I want to hear real quickly, just in line of what you were talking about, we have one more minute left, Mark, but if you could talk to us about Pierre 
Amador, uh, 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 is it uh, Omidyar? Omidyar, yeah. yeah. Sure. In light of what you're saying right now, uh, because he had a vision as well that he was talking about and that, that at that time nobody could see as well, right? And he persevered? <laughs> he did. Pierre Omidyar was a third level or maybe a fourth level tech support uh, guy. Very, very quiet, very quiet. And he, he saw the web and the internet, which was a big nothing at the time, and decided to try and have a kind of a, oh, I don't know, kind of like a flea market. It was the way it was called, a flea market online where you, you wanted to sell something and then somebody wanted to buy it and he came together. And it was just, you know, the people around him who loved him and, you know, admired him as a person thought he was, he was crazy. <laughs> to to the woman's point, right, <laughs> right, crazy, and, and investors wouldn't talk to him, and everybody thought it was like you know, stupid. I mean, you know, who would want to trade and you know stuff from a complete stranger that you never heard of, and and it's basically you know junk stuff and flea market stuff. Well, so he left and he tried it out and started working with silly things like Pez, you know, dispensers and other kinds of things. Well, that became eBay. Yeah, he invented and eBay. <laughs> He invented eBay, and he was a fourth-level tech, very quiet guy with long hair that nobody – you know, we all loved him, but we thought he was a little goofy. You know? 